Hello and welcome to Constructing Success. I'm your host, Derek Baer, and this is a sales and lifestyle podcast. And on today's show, I couldn't be more excited to introduce you to Aaron Trahan. Aaron has a wild, wild background of executive leadership. He has been all around. He is extremely knowledgeable, knows books, knows quotes, knows podcasts, knows speakers. And most importantly, he helped me through a rough patch in my life, and we'll go deeper into that. But without further ado, here is Aaron Trahan. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Derek. I'm, uh, I'm stoked to be here. Looking forward to a great conversation. And as we discussed prior, the, part of the reason that I'm so excited for a conversation today is we'll have a list of topics that we can briefly cover, but as both you and I know, we're going to take off on a tangent that could go way, way out to left field. But I'm also confident that no matter how far off it goes from the original topic that we discuss or whatever we branch into, I'm extremely confident that somebody out there, and most of you out there, will find value in the topics. So, Aaron, I'm trying to think of where to start. So, you are a husband, a father to two. Um, when did... When did you break away? Actually, if, if you can give the listeners a download of, of your career in executive leadership, I know you've been in the C-suite. Can you tell us how, how that began, what you've done, and what made you jump into what you're doing now? Yeah, yeah, I'll kind of give the uh, the 30,000-foot view approach. And, you know, really for me, leadership uh, started at a very early age. I was put into a leadership role at 23 years old, overseeing a fairly large business, you know, a business doing a hundred million dollars of annual revenue, growing at 30% year over year. And, um, you know, you learn a lot by being kind of on the job training and being in the experience and, you know, for me, taking over a business and in a leadership role at that age, while I continued to have success after that and ultimately found myself, um, you know, in as part of the executive leadership team, um, you know, now managing a portfolio of a billion dollar revenue business um, all before the age of 30. While that for me, as I kind of look back and that may be the nice headline, what sits underneath that is... I'm confident that I've made every mistake there there is to make as an executive leader. And, you know, as the famous uh, quote goes, what got you here won't get you there. And that was a I love that. Yeah, I love that. that was a big, um, big slap in the face from reality for me as I kind of got into those new rooms. I'm engaging with uh, board level executives and. You know, my path from a 23-year-old to a 30-year-old, while it looked good on paper, just very progressive, I just had a lot of development areas that needed needed attention, I guess is the easiest way to explain it. And um, as I look back, and while I was very skilled around strategy, very skilled around being able to see around corners, very skilled in, in building out and developing operations, the one weak spot that continued to serve as really a headwind for me in my career was 
I was not a great people leader. You know, you don't come out of college with a, a skill set that you're able to kind of go through of how to lead people. That's a very dynamic responsibility. And when you're thrown into a leadership role at 23 years old, my whole team was almost twice my experience and quite frankly thought they could do the job better than I could. Um, so it wasn't exactly a supportive environment to learn in. It was truly trial by fire. And so as I went out and got external help in the form of performance coaching, that became a development area that I was laser focused on converting from a weakness to a strength. Um, you know, passions jump up and, and bite you in all kinds of weird ways. And for me, that leadership development, people development, nurturing high performance individuals really became this, this new purpose, a new passion for me. And so if we fast forward over the next five, six, seven, eight years, that continued to be kind of that, that itch that kept pulling me in and pulling me in, pulling me in, uh, eventually to where the gravitational pull became too strong to ignore. I knew that if I didn't really pull on this thread further, go out and start doing something in that realm full time, it was going to be that thing that I woke up 25 years from now regretting, regardless of the other success I would have had. So that's what, at a very high level, really led me from the executive ranks um, to running businesses, building businesses, to saying, I'm now ready to really see where I can take this purpose and passion of mine uh, more through an entrepreneurial venture uh, and do you know, leadership and executive performance coaching full time. So that's kind of what, what led me from there. What was that moment that, you know, really forced me to say, I've got to change everything I'm doing. And in that process, just picked up a new passion on that, on that journey. That's awesome. And so you, you said a few things. I'm going to try to remember them all and work backwards in order as best as I can. Um, but when you said one of your weakness was leadership with people, what, how did you recognize that and what did you do or what did you have to implement to develop that on the fly? Cause this is, I'm assuming this is back to your first role when you were 23. Mm -hmm. So, so what did you have to put in place? How did this come about? And, uh, yeah, you can go from there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, you know, the, the thing that was core to that discovery process was making sure that you remain open-minded, making sure that you've got the right feedback loops in the right place that allows you to hear maybe the things that you don't want to hear, but to hear the things that you absolutely need to hear. Um, and I'm here in my office right now and I keep this little laminated uh, thing, you know, right here beside my, uh, right here beside my computer. And it's just a great reminder. You know, you, we, as an executive team, we had all kinds of third parties coming in from, you know, the Gallup company or Hedrix and struggles and doing all these 360 degree, um, you know, feedbacks from, you know, for the executive team. And, you know, while one side of that page is great, it, it hypes you up. It tells you all the things you're great at, makes you, you know, look like a rock star on paper. But the other side is, Here's all the things that people are saying about you, maybe not to your face, maybe you don't even think this is a reality, but this is other people's perception and other people's realities. 
And for me, that was just very hard hitting. Um, understanding how people thought about me, understanding other people's experience working for me. Um, and, you know, when success comes at an early age, it's easy to just paper over the weaknesses. It's easy to just say, look at the achievements, look at the results, you know, use that as validation to inflate the ego and make you feel like you're greater than you really are. Um, but those weaknesses always show back up at some point. So for me, it was just making sure that I really started to listen and pay attention to those feedback loops. And what was coming back was, you know, you're not that great at leading teams, you know, sure you're smart and you can achieve great results, but it doesn't mean it's a joy working for you. I don't feel supported. I don't feel you're investing in me. Um, it was much of a micro culture of either keep up with me or leave. Um, which obviously doesn't work over the long term and is sure as hell not sustainable. And so it was one of those eye-opening moments for me that kind of back to the quote, what got me here won't get me there. I was defining there as continued achievement, continued success. I had to address these things and address them now. So I'm now so grateful for those feedback loops that were coming back to me um, and help shine some lights on some blind spots. Mm -hmm. and, and you you mentioned that you get these feedback loops or what when when success comes early it's easy to skim over your weaknesses and you know try to focus on your strengths but you do you get these little alerts that are quiet at first and they continue getting louder and some people hear them um, I've definitely been late to hear them at certain points in my career and in my life but if you put these little bells off that are going soon they turn into red alerts and alarms and before you know it you're fucked and every you've got a mutiny on your hands you didn't notice the change you didn't notice that people weren't responding the same way and and i, I want to focus on you here uh, but any you know anything that comes into the the sales realm if you will um i, I want to touch on that because that's just something i have to do but when when you go into the leadership role you are selling and what you're selling is you're selling the motivation for the people to follow you and you're not selling it in a way i've heard someone say you're out there trying to convince people to follow your leadership you're not convincing people of shit. you mm. to be a good leader you are supportive and you have a vision and you're confident but you're also checking in and you're making sure that who you're working with, who is following you, who is under you, and who your colleagues are, that they are constantly letting you know their feedback, their story, and they are letting themselves, as you pull this out of them, because you are the leader and you are the guide, they are letting themselves tell the story of why it is in their best interest to follow you this certain way. And whether it's a leadership role of a, billion dollar company or whether it's a leadership role of you convincing your two little ones of why you should go to bed early tonight and why it's good and if you want to be a big strong boy you're going to go to bed by 7 30 and if you can present it in that way then the people will follow and, and not 
everyone will follow, but the ones that share your visions and your vision and the ones that want to be with you and want to be a part of it, they will. And that will make it easier to weed out the good eggs from the bad is by keeping in contact and, and being a leader that is not too good to talk to the bottom ranks and being a leader that shares the vision from the top down and is listening all the way through of, damn, that really does suck. And it, using, this is me going off on a bit of a tangent, but I can't no, remember the show. What was the show called where it would be like a CEO would go take out trash for a week and they were like, fuck. This sucks. We're not paying these people enough. Like that undercover is, boss. Undercover boss. That is brilliant leadership. And mm-hmm. that is leadership where you're hearing from the, you know, the grunt laborers, if you will, how they feel about the company and how they feel about leadership and how maybe they don't trust what's going on. And so that's my little tangent on it. But um, that that is really, really, really important to listen to those feedback loops and to listen to those alerts. Um, and you also, so one thing that is just like, this is a red alert for me when you're saying it, because I can't think, I'm trying to think of who I would bring into an executive role at my company at 23, and I can't. As of now, there's someone out there. But what what was it about your college history? What was it about your application or your interview that got you that job? Because I'm sure you were up against people that had more experience, which isn't always a good thing, but mm-hmm. were older or had a better resume. What what landed you that job at such an early age? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was really, uh, it was really a progressive step. It was a company that I started working for while going to school at 18 years old. Um, and it was just one of those things where I just kept out learning, I kept out preparing, and I kept out working kind of everyone around me. And so when I think about these different components, there's the IQ, you know, that speaks to just overall intelligence, you know, cognitive bandwidth. You've got EQ, the emotional intelligence, and something that I think goes underappreciated and something that I was able to develop at a very early age is what I refer to as OQ, and that's organizational intelligence. And so when you're able to look at how the whole machine works, be able to develop the relationships with key stakeholders, very rarely have I seen someone who is considered the most one of the most valuable people in an organization or on a team um, is all, always closely aligned with someone who just knows how to get things done. They can cut through the noise, always find the signal. And for me, that kind of developed into my sweet spot. I was able to do the things that others weren't either capable or willing to do. And so within this organization that was fast growing was, um, luckily for me, was very bootstrapped. Even for a large business, it was, didn't, I mean, very flat organization. Um, and just prioritized results and getting things done for whatever reason, I was able to pick up on that and just knew how to navigate within the organization through the company, all the different departments. And I was able to more than people two X my experience was just able to get more done more quickly and generate more results and put more points on the board. Um, so it's something I kind of look back now and, and, and think about in terms of for any leader, in sales or any other any other division, it's just 
what type of organizational intelligence do you have on the company? Do you know how everything works? Do you know what's most important to each group? And do you know how to wield any type of influence or um, whatever you want to call it to be able to help motivate, influence, and encourage others to work with you on your projects and initiatives to help lift uh, lift the tide for everybody else? And I I was able to just really execute on that, and that's that's really what led me to that role, or at least getting the shot uh, at that role because I'd proven. Um, that I knew how to work throughout the organization to kind of move things forward. Well, thank you for that information. And, and I, wanted to, I wanted to at least give some background information on, on who you were before performance mindset coaching. And this is so having you on here. My goal is to unpack or uncover what the journey has been like from going from working from a company to now being on your own and very much, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but very much going to the high dive. You don't know if the water is warm or cold. You don't know if it's deep or shallow and you just had to jump. So Mm -hmm. in making a jump like that and for anybody that's out there that's looking to transition, um, you know, from going from a W-2 position or a company where you're salaried and then going to where you are absolutely hunting for everything and only eating what you kill, what did, what was the mindset to make that jump and what did you have to do to prepare yourself for this very dark, unclear path where we have no idea where we're going or we're just hoping we find it out or fi- find our way to the light? Yeah. Yeah. Two things really immediately come to mind. And one is I can't recommend highly enough to do the deep internal work. So you understand very clearly your why for making that leap. Um, Make sure that you have no doubts. Make sure you know how this leap, how this jump, how this pivot directly impacts how you're defining success for yourself and then how you see happiness for yourself. And I think when you can check those boxes, it makes it so, it's just so much more of an effective way to really drive clarity into everything you do that even on the shit days where you're facing obstacles and Um, your mind wants to take you to that quitting zone of just like how easy would it be to go back to the corporate world where you've got, you know, all the perks, the salary, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about what the months ahead are going to look like when you're so clear on your why it makes even those days just worth continuing to grind it out because you know, you know what path you're on and how it impacts you. So I think that's the that's the first thing. Like, don't miss that step. Do that internal work, and once you're clear on the why, um, all of a sudden it doesn't feel like that big of a jump. It it feels like more of you know you going going with the flow of kind of that gravitational pull that's that that river is sucking you towards. And so um, it, it it really gives you a much clearer path of what that north star defined, and then two. I think you ultimately have to challenge yourself. No matter what type of learning mode you thought you were in before, 
I think accept the challenge for yourself to go back into that beginner's mindset and be the best fucking student you can possibly be. Um, so set up the reflection points on a weekly basis. Know what's working and more importantly, what's not working. Learn from everything and be in a position that allows yourself to be flexible and adaptable. One week is you know, your first month, your first two months, you're gonna do a lot of things that don't work. There's going to be some trial and error. There's going to be some, uh, some setbacks and some obstacles you have to overcome. Those, those are inevitable. And so the best thing you can do for yourself is be that student to where you're able to parlay every single one of those opportunities into new wisdom, new knowledge, and ultimately create a better, more effective path forward right after that. So those are the, really the two things that, that come to mind is getting clear on, on the why and then being a damn good student to be able to learn from everything to be more effective the very next day. Well, cool. And I'm going to, so I'm going to push back on something. This is why I love having dialogue like this. Uh, I, I don't disagree with anything you said, uh, but I'm going to push back on one part if that's okay. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then I want to extend on another part. And so I'm going to try to, I always try to work backwards from where we went. Yeah. So where I'm going to extend on is you said that the first month or the fir first week, first two weeks, first month, first two months, you're going to be trying things and not everything's going to work and there's going to be trial and error. I'm going to extend that out to where I would prepare myself if I'm going to make that jump it, from someone who's made a similar jump, but everyone's mm -hmm. got their, their own story. I would prepare myself for at least six months of explosive trial and error. Like yeah. you're going to try a ton of shit and a ton of shit isn't going to work. I can't remember who said it, but it's like just plan them for six months, throwing shit at the wall, like everything you can throw the kitchen sink, everything, whatever sticks. Then we start to focus on that and try to scale that and replicate that. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be, I mean, even things that you may not think are going to work. If your back's up against a wall, try to introduce those. Cause you just never know when that pivot will be. You could have a focus to go one direction and realize, you know, it's, it's in a similar field, but holy shit, I was thinking about this from a completely different standpoint. I should be going this way. So, so I would, at least for me, I would extend further than the two month mark mentally. Um, and then for the, you said have have no doubt in your mind, and, and I agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, what I would extend from there as well is you need to have zero doubt in your mind that you will un, you will you will overcome anything that's thrown your way. And if you want to look at your your time in this exploration phase as battery life or like a lifeline. You need to have no doubt that even if you get down to 1% of battery, that you're going to bounce back and get to two that you can have no doubt on, but you need to be prepared. And, and I do this. I think it works for me. I, it always works for me. It does work mm -hmm. for me, but I'll, I'll look at something and I'm going to give you a, a Pacific Northwest example yeah. followed by a worldly example, but, yeah. but I'll look at something and I'll say like, yeah, that's going to be tough. Like it's going to be probably like summiting Mount Rainier. It's kind mm -hmm. of going to suck. I'm going to have to train for it, but I got this. Mm -hmm. And the benefit is I think that way in reality, I'm climbing Everest. 
but once I'm there, I know I'm not going to give up. So I'm positive enough to know that it's going to be difficult. It's usually a lot harder than I thought it was going to be, but mm-hmm. you have to wear the punches. You have to hang in there. You have to keep getting up. And, you know, I say this all the time. I'm sure you say this all the time. Everyone says this all the time. The secret, the one secret is to just keep showing up and if you can commit to that that will get you from wherever you are to wherever you want to be i can't guarantee the timeline but i can guarantee if you don't quit you cannot fail um in in another uh, just from a from a tactical or from a preparation standpoint um, and if you don't feel comfortable sharing this I've got my mini formula, but um, <laughs> what did you do to put in place to go from a very comfortable, regular paycheck that comes in weekly or bi-weekly or monthly um, to not knowing when your next check would come and not knowing how big it would be? What, what did you do so that you had enough of a buffer, if you did, mm-hmm. to not freak out? Yeah, yeah. I think it's... Um... I mean, I think I don't think there's a perfect answer to that, but what will always help is, you know, as you're starting to go through that exploratory process of, you know, what does it look like to make this jump? What is it, you know, what does really tackling that piece, you know, what from a revenue and income standpoint does that look like? Um, what really helped the transition for me is getting a couple clients lined up um, right at the start. Um, so day one, week one, month one, wasn't just a a hunt without, you know, without anything, I at least had a base that I could start from. Um, and so wherever that's applicable for anybody getting ready to make that jump, I would highly recommend it. It makes that transition, you know, much easier to where you don't, you, I mean, sure you're starting from the ground up. Um, but you can at least kind of hit the ground running a bit faster than otherwise you decide to do this, you leave your prior job and every, you know, it's, it's truly a, um, start from zero with no income coming in. So as much as you're able to line some things up that at launch, you, you've got something to kind of hang on, I think for me was, uh, was really effective and, and helped with that transition. That's awesome. And that is smart. And when I'm, when I'm thinking back to it, I, I actually, this is a reminder for me. Um, I was double dipping, I think for at least two months, mm-hmm. but maybe three while I was transitioning. So it wasn't just the, the faucet is completely shut off. Now what, um, what I, what I did, this is just for anyone that wants like additional information on maybe how to do it. But what I did in that time was I wanted to ensure that I had minimum six months of expenses in the bank, not mm-hmm. in investments, cash. And the difficult part of, of doing that is essential expenses, which you can lay out for that. So what I look at is essential expenses is going to be your rent or your mortgage, um, your electricity and any utilities required to stay alive. So in Austin, Texas, where you are, AC is going to be one of those things. And in Seattle, yeah. I'm going to need heat in the winter. So yeah. those are very important. Um, gas for your car, should you have a car, so transportation is a part of that. Um, and then food. I don't know if I already said food, but that's that's basically what the essentials boil down to. Yeah. Where 
where I screwed that up, and it is really difficult to do, and I, I commend anyone that can do this, is when I made my jump, I'm, I'm still working on it. It's over two years now. It's really hard to pull back on your lifestyle expenses. Yeah. You're just used to a certain lifestyle. So what I had, what I had set up for, and and I actually, I had eight months set up, but what I had set up was the bare minimum and I just don't live a bare minimum lifestyle. So that, that, um, it never got to a point where it was scary, Mm -hmm. but it was, if anything, it was just a realization like, holy shit, I can see how people can get in a bad position if they're just laid off. If they're laid off, they're on unemployment. Like... If you're used to, <laughs> this is just a wild example, whatever, but if you're used to getting your, your nails done and your hair done or going to certain restaurants or traveling or whatnot, like when you're in this grind mode, those are not essential. And if you got to have that as your upkeep, something else has to give and you can't really give up any more of your essentials. So that bank account can wind down a little bit uh, faster than planned. And in most things, you should always plan that it's gonna have some hiccup along the way. Um, Did you do anything for, uh, I'm asking because I I did and I'll show this, but did you do anything to supplement income while you were going through the transition? Um, I didn't, uh, but I think a lot of the other things that you're talking about, I I definitely adopted. So I kind of like to think of it in terms of give yourself as much runway as you possibly can and don't factor the runway that you're giving yourself from the financial pad and and the investments you're going to also have to make in, in the business, right? So it's not just about keeping the AC running it's about how i mean you've got to invest in the business if if you want to get it to where you want to go um and so yeah be very clear on those sacrifices you're going to be willing to make from prior to launch versus post launch and don't factor in that runway on a best case scenario yeah. if anything worse i would worse than you could ever imagine that, that's right that's right and so you know, it's we, we've all heard the term of a post-mortem, just looking at things after the fact, you know, what went well, what didn't go well. But it's also worth doing a pre-mortem, right? Let's put yourself in the position as you're planning out the runway you need, the upside, the downside, almost fast forward 12 months in advance, you know, at, at the one-year anniversary of the business and say, everything went wrong. This is a burning <laughs> yeah. dumpster fire. Yeah. Every, you know, everything that I thought would happen didn't happen. Work backwards from that. What would have led to all those catastrophic failures and missteps and obstacles? And try as much as you can to proactively plan to create detours around the probability of those things happening. Um, and yeah, I, I love the quote um, that always kind of talks about, you know, you're not prepared unless you're prepared for worst case scenario. I think when you're launching a new entrepreneurial venture, take that to heart. I mean, it's easy to plan for the upside, how thing, how great things could be, how, um, you know, how much financial freedom this is going to give you. Don't get sucked into the utopia of it all. Get sucked into the grind that is going to be that, that first year plan for worst case scenario. And the best thing you can do for yourself 
is don't allow yourself to be surprised when some of those worst case scenario things start to rear their ugly head. Instead of it knocking you off course or setting you back, you can, that's what allows you to continue to be relentless. And as you said, keep showing up every single day. You can shake their hand saying, I was expecting you. I'm glad you're here. I've got a plan for you. We're going to keep fucking going though. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, you know, have hope for best case scenario, but always be planned for worst case scenario, especially when it comes to your runway. Yeah. And I, um, I, I'm a positive thinker. I'm an optimist and that has, it has never taken me out, but it has put me on my heels more than I'd like to admit is I've heard from other people, whether it was shipping containers from out of the country and they're saying there will be something that goes wrong, whether it's a port delay, whether a truck gets a flat tire, whether there is a uh, canal that is completely blocked and everything in the world is fucked right now, something will go wrong. And I remember thinking like, yeah, 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 whatever. And on that initial on that initial shipment, this was a big deal at the time, but on that initial shipment, everything did come through. I made it by, you know, the the skin on my teeth, if you will, for a deadline. Mm-hmm. But moving forward, fortunately I was preparing for the worst a little bit more, but it just seemed like more and more things were getting delayed and backed up. And it was almost by having a really strong prepared defense for the worst case scenario, it made me an offensive player in this game. Because right. when when things were going wrong and people were just losing their shit, I had a plan B, C, D, and E worst case scenario. So that's um, I mean, just to extend off on that is be hopeful for the best prepare for the worst and then really prepare for the worst of the worst, worst case scenario. And when you have those things in place, you can audible, you can pivot. And it, it just takes out the, that almost the, the jolt effect or the shock of adrenaline that hits you when like shit hit the fan. And when you have that calm nature about you, and I'm kind of transitioning this to leadership again, but when you have that calm nature, everybody else will be calm as well. When you're freaking the fuck out, everyone around you is freaking out as well because you're supposed to be the captain, the one that that no matter how bad the storm, no matter how big the swells, we're going to make it through. And if you start showing that if you start showing that you're scared, you can bet your ass the rest of the crew is going to freak out as well. 100%. 100%. And something else that you that you brought up earlier, just to come back to real quick is... Yeah, I think you always have to stay in learning mode. And it's not just the first couple months. It's not just the first year. I mean, you always have to evolve and learn and adapt. But the thing that I especially want to call out, like you just mentioned, in those early days, it's more jarring. And you need to prepare for this. Those things that happen different from from expectations in the first two, three, four, five, six months are going to be more jarring for you than, you know, by the time you reach nine months, 12 months, you're, you're, you're a little seasoned. You know how to kind of, um, you know kind of how to handle the rogue waves. Um, so that's why it's so important to, to prepare for the worst. So that way in month two or month three, when you get hit by one, it's not so jarring and you feel like reality is so far, um, so far detached from your expectations 
that kills more dreams than anything else. And that's what, you know, that's what is such a big driver that prevents people from continuing to show up and then get on the other side of that quitting zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, before I forget about this, I just, I just want to make sure that I lay this out because this is an important topic for yeah. making the transition into your own business or taking that big leap when there's not a guaranteed income coming in or a safety net. Um, I hear often, and I don't, I, this is not me going into dickhead mode, and this is not me saying, like, oh, you're mentally weak, you got excuses, but I guess I'm going to do that a little bit right now. So, you know, there are so many complaints and there's so many excuses and there's so many reasons why someone couldn't do it, why someone couldn't get started, why someone didn't have the ability to make that change they always wanted to make. And that is complete bullshit because it's head trash and it is a non-supportive belief that you're fueling about, yeah, you know, I'm not going to go for it anyway. It would have been really hard. Everyone's going for it. You know, I probably wouldn't have got the role, wouldn't have done this, would have been a waste of time. If you are saying that to yourself, you're fucking right. It is absolutely not going to work out. And so what my recommendations for, if you're going to make a jump like this and you want to be prepared, and I am really, really, not, not with my political views or anything like that, we're not going to get into this, but with money, I am oddly conservative. And, and that's not to say I won't go out and blow a shitload of money on a really good experience at a dinner or you know some sort of entertainment. But when it comes to my security line, if you will, or my, my savings that's going to protect me from being homeless or not, I don't let it get to the 1% before, before I start freaking out. Like, if it even got to halfway, I've got to be proactively thinking. So, yeah. for anyone out there that just doesn't know how they'd make money on the side or be able to keep themselves afloat while they're chasing a passion or a dream or pursuit of whatever, Uber is a great option. And if someone says, oh, well, you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable with someone driving my car. Uber Eats is a great option. And if you don't feel comfortable dropping something off at someone's house or you don't have a car, what I did, I did this to make sure I never even got uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Because in a a selling role, if you are selling and it sounds like you need the money, it will come through. And I wanted to make sure that I always had a a surplus of cash. I never got into that commission, breath, pushy type of type of experience for a prospect, but I did Rover. Hmm. I'm still on Rover. (laughs) I have a shitload of great reviews. This is not something I ever planned on doing, but I just, I didn't want to do too much. And for someone that doesn't have a car out there, and this is my shameless plug for Rover, but I would board dogs and I like animals. I've always loved animals and I love dogs and I walk a shitload. On the average day I'm walking... I would say on the average day, I walk seven miles throughout Seattle, rain or shine. So why not have a dog with me? And that built out just using, there was no sales tactics. There was nothing other than showing up and just treating people the way they should be treated with customer service. Like someone sends you a text and, oh my God, I respond. You know, and maybe I say, hey, how's your day going? Yeah, I'd love to meet Sarge, you know, your bulldog. So using that and then showing up on time, doing the right things, taking pictures of the dog per day, nothing crazy. 
I was able to build this little rover business with a ton of good reviews because I didn't do anything special. I just did what I was supposed to do. And I was able to raise my rates. I maxed out my rates and you know, Seattle's expensive and people love their animals. And I'm not saying, I would never say that I'm ripping people off. I am charging a premium for Mm -hmm. my services. And I don't know that I would necessarily pay what I charge, but if you love your pet, like you love your child, you want them to have the best. And if you want them to have the best experience, you're going to pay for that. So I built out this business now that I was able to transition. I, I would say my, um, I wouldn't even say and my partner in the business, I'm going to say an employee, my partner in the business is my mom has now taken it over. She's retired. And it's nice that she has the extra cash come in because we charge a good amount. She fucking loves bulldogs. It brings her joy. So this, there was no intention of where this would go, but I've now set up a retirement business for my mom where she can pick and choose based on the amount of good reviews, her ideal fit dogs. And when she gets them, she loves them for that week. And when I, when we, we do the transition to get the pet back to the owner, my mom almost every time cries like that. And this is me going off on a tangent again, but, but this is something that was set up just to protect myself. And then in doing the right things there, it was able to be successful. So I went off on a wild tangent, but there's, there's a ton of things you can do to stay afloat while you're on this journey. And it is all available. If you have a smartphone and internet access, if you don't have those, yeah, sure. You might be in trouble, but there is an unlimited amount of ways to make money out there. So the excuse of, oh, I'm not in the right place and I have enough money saved. I don't know what I'll do if it doesn't work. That's head trash. And you have to yeah. get over that. You just have to jump in. You have to jump in with two feet, cannonball. Maybe the water's shallow. Maybe the water's cold. You'll make it out and you'll learn from the experience. So that is a, that is just a wild tangent on how it's no, going no, I, from... I don't think it's a tangent at all. I think it's... <laughs> You know, I, I think the point that you brought up is, look, if if anyone listening to this thinks that there is going to be a perfect moment, they're going to, the stars are going to align that, well, I'll be less busy in six months or a year from now, or I'll wait for the economy to get better, better. That's bullshit. There, there is no, there is no perfect time. And so regardless of what initiative you have, Life will always give you a, a very legitimate laundry list of excuses, risk, and uncertainties of why not to do it. What you just mentioned is the other side of that. And I think that's where, that's where you can connect the dots. You can, you can approach those things in two ways. You can give in to that list that, quite frankly, comes from your comfort zone of all the, all the reasons that could be legitimate for your mind to trick yourself to not taking action or you can take the approach you did and and why i love that story is it's it's kind of a burn the boats type of moment it's like this is what i'm doing i'm taking the other side of that i'm saying be damned with that list of reasons i'm willing to make the sacrifices to make this work and whether you think you can or think you can't, you'll always be right. And so I, that, that mindset that you just described is just the other side of that, of not giving into the comfort zone and basically flipping at the finger of saying, I'm willing to do what I have to do, even if it's 
a bit more of an alternative approach that a lot of other people may misunderstand because it's part of my commitment to seeing this thing through and seeing success from this initiative. For so sure. I loved it. For sure. And, and also with, with having to just check your ego, because there was some moments, there were some times in the early initial process where whether they fully expressed it or not, I think that some of my friends and some of my peers were like, oh, you're walking dogs, huh? Things are going well. And little do they know, it's like, no, I'm just adding to my security blanket. Like, I'm making sure this armor doesn't have a chink and I just keep checking it because I need to be unstoppable to do this. Um, and that's the reality. You have to be not unstoppable, but you have to be unkillable. You can be stopped. You can get knocked backwards, but you must keep going forward. So, yeah. so now transitioning from that, and this is where it's going to get a little bit more fun. We got through the, you know, the boring, this is what we think, this is that. I want to talk about my experience with you. Yeah. And this is a, um, I think I'm staying, I think I'm saying this right. There was a, uh, a Netflix documentary. Is it Jonah Hill Stutz? Was it yeah. Stutz? And, Stutz? And we, we talked about this a little bit. So this is, um, not a documentary, but this is a podcast of me now putting you in the interview chair mm -hmm. where before the roles were reversed and, and I'm going to forewarn everybody that Aaron, Aaron may not be for you. And that's not to say that he can't serve everybody, but why he was so special for me to work with was when things are tough, and when things get a little uncertain, or maybe you get into that negative view of yourself, um, or some sort of any, any catastrophic event, we mm -hmm. can forget our grounding. And there are professionals that we can turn to that will just really listen and tell me more about that and how did that make you feel and you know yeah that does make sense maybe you should take some time off and take a step back and chill and i would i would never say <clears throat> excuse me i would never say that you wouldn't encourage rest or taking time for yourself mm -hmm. but you had the mindset of more so it would be the difference of me going to jonah hill maybe for advice <laughs> and i don't think he'll ever hear this so it wouldn't be an issue or Michael Jordan or, or let's say is it is it Tim Grover Michael Jordan's coach yeah okay yeah. Tim Grover is not for everybody that's right but if you are a high performing person and you have your if you have your sights set on the stars hoping to fall for the moon and other have their sights set on maybe I'll move out of the state someday there's going to be a wildly different prescription of what you need and when my when I I'm not going to go into details, but I, I had a rocky January, <laughs> a rocky January and being able to say, you know, Aaron, I'm out here. I was outside of the country. I was alone. I was going through a bunch of shit. I had some really bad shit happen earlier in the month that just, anyway, that's, this is maybe a story for a different podcast, but <laughs> I could see, I could see, and I've experienced this from other people like, oh, yep, just pack it up, come home. In fact, that's what my mom told me to do because my mom is nurturing and yeah. loving. Um, and I had another mentor and I had you helping me here that was like, 
no man this is where the journey begins like mm -hmm. oh wow your luggage just all blew up and went out the window now you're on your now the adventure has started mm -hmm. and having you there to I'm not saying you need to go to people that are like-minded that will support you. It's good to have people push back on your thoughts, but having you be there and say, yeah, dude, yeah, it's pretty fucking lonely at the top. Guess what? You're going another 10,000 feet up in elevation. Like you've got this and you know this, but it might get worse before it gets better. And that's awesome. That type of input, that is the input that changes you from being, I hate to use this this way, but it works for me a winner or a fucking loser, okay? Yeah. Are we packing up because someone messed up our sandbox or are we setting up our own barrier, re-cleaning the sandbox, making it right and having a conversation with that person before they come in and dealing with it? Are we having the hard conversations that lead to an easy life or are we just avoiding confrontation and avoiding issues, hopefully that everything goes over well and then as we talked about earlier earlier this is coming full circle these red alerts build and build and build you got five years of bullshit coming up because you didn't have a conversation at the family reunion whatever it is um, so that, yeah i've taken off again but but you were so 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 helpful for me and i would encourage anybody out there that's not looking for the that's not looking for what you want to hear but that's looking for what you need to hear to get you to a high level pursuit. And Aaron could help you with anything, but I'm gonna encourage the listeners that if you're not, if you don't feel like you're seeking something high and if you feel like you don't have your sight set high enough, Aaron, you can speak to this, but I wouldn't bother contacting him. He, he would be helpful for you, but he's going to get you to the next level and also don't waste his time if you don't want to get there as well. So that's, that's my little quick overview for my relationship with you, Aaron. And I, I have to express, express the utmost gratitude because when I was in these times, I was like, fuck, I was looking forward to our calls. I was looking forward to our time. I knew that I would walk away from each call with something to work on, with something to set my sights on. There was a follow-up. I knew what to avoid moving forward. It was accountability. It just, it was amazing. So thank you for your help with me. Yeah, no, I appreciate the, uh, appreciate the words. And yeah, it's just, you know, kind of goes back to what we were just talking about is there's there's always going to be reasons, excuses, or external events that, you know, could, if it, if it's just up to our, our emotions and what our mind's telling us, it's just like, yep, pack it up, bring it, you know, bring it home. Let's, uh, let's give up here. But, um, yeah, I think those obstacles and that fear of kind of the unknown, the fear of further failure creates so much inaction. And the one thing that I like to quote unquote preach is inaction is the death of all, of all growth. Um, and you know, it's, it, it kind of goes back to what you mentioned earlier. It's like, you've got to build and fortify the mindset around, I'm going to keep showing up no matter what you throw at me. I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to prioritize continuous improvement, even if it's so minute of the 1% gain that you really can't fill it in the moment. But it's that, it's that relentless approach to keep showing up every single day and for lack of a better term, attacking those dreams, those goals, those desires, because that's almost the mindset that you have to have. If you're just, 
hoping and praying that things are going to fall in place, you're essentially guaranteeing yourself that they're not. You have to create the space. You've got to create the pieces of the puzzle that fall in place. And you just can't do that by inaction. You have to be, you have to have a bias for action. You've got to match that with a bias for learning. Um, and yeah, that's where, that's where all the growth come from. It's not always going to feel good. It's not always going to feel comfortable. That's how you know that you're kind of on the outer edges of your current capability and, and kind of understandings of the world. Um, it's usually where, where all the magical growth lives. Mm-hmm. And you and I talk about this pretty frequently. So if we, if you don't mind, if we can riff on this a little bit, mm-hmm. let's dive deeper into the growth zone. What yeah. does that mean to you? What should it mean to the listener? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll answer that kind of with the way that I kind of have put together what I call the 70-20-10 mindset rule. Um, and just as a general mapping for anyone listening this is going to be a good landscape for you to be able to pinpoint maybe where you are currently at and what are the events that led you there. Um, and so let's start first with the easy one. So this mindset rule that I use generally applies to just about every team, every room, every group. Um, somewhere along those environments, this rule is going to live 20% of the people in any of those scenarios, are going to be, whether they admit or not, made up with a fixed mindset for whatever reason. They're just not prioritizing learning. They're not prioritizing development. Um, Let's just consider them the old dogs who have no interest in learning any new tricks. Uh, Could be because they're at the tail end of their career. They've already had a ton of success. Um, They they would rather be the smartest person in the room versus the learn it all. So let's set that 20% off to the side. Here's where it gets interesting. In every room that I present to, when we talk about a growth mindset, you know, that, that belief, the thoughts that with the proper amount of time, energy, and effort, you can develop new skills, overcome obstacles, increase your intelligence, on and on and on. 70% of every room is going to raise their hand saying, yep, I identify with that. That's me. That's me. Um, If we were to look at their actions, their habits, the routines, they're full of shit. Their actions don't support their words. They're saying all the right things. They believe all the right things. You go to their LinkedIn, they're, they're sharing all the right things to get the, get the likes and the reshares, but they're not living it. They too are in some form of a status quo. They've accepted their own status quo. They, they're kind of living in their own version of the comfort zone. That's not to say that they're not successful people. And that's not to say that they may not continue to bump along and see, you know, incremental success in the future, but they're not putting the action behind that growth mindset. They know deep down, whether they admit to, to us or not, they're not living out their full potential. They're not operating as the best version of themselves. They're just not. So that leaves this last little group. This is the, this is the 10%. What I refer to as the performance mindset group. They believe everything that the growth mindset group believes, but there's one big difference. They are putting significant action behind living that out. They have a willingness and a desire to invest in themselves, invest in their capabilities, 
And while they may have the same great resume as the other group, they don't give a shit about what's happened in the past. They're looking out the front windshield and they're kind of challenging themselves. What else am I capable of? How high can I fly? What, you know, what does full potential for me look like? And while they may not know, they're actively trying to figure that out. Um, I, I think when we talk about the growth zone, that's the group that's willing to be comfortable being uncomfortable to go and explore that new zone. They do not prioritize the status quo. They don't give a shit about it. Um, and so they are the ones constantly challenging and stretching themselves and operating just slightly outside of what is comfortable for them or what their current capabilities are um, because they're truly acting behind a mindset that leads to greater growth and greater performance. And so kind of a, a, a alternative answer to your question, but that's that's really where I see kind of the three major groups in just about every room emerge. And it's that minority that truly is operating and dancing within the growth zone. The other ones may be talking about it or said, yeah, I used to do that in my past, but you look, you really zoom in on their actions, their behaviors, the routines, the commitments and the sacrifices they're comfortable. They're not, they're not in the growth zone. They, they aspire to be in the growth zone, but they're in, they're in the comfort zone right now. Absolutely. And they can, this happens. I mean, this happens all the time. And it, where I see this the most frequently is in the interview process. This is just taking it this way. People oh, yeah. will tell you everything. They got these wild desires. I can't wait to do this. I, you know, read at night self-improvement books or nonfiction and I'm practicing yoga and meditation, whatever that is. But their commitment level isn't real and they just said all the right things to get in there or just to maybe you're speaking at a conference and someone is replying with all the right answers because their boss is there and they want to sound like they know what they're talking about, but they're full of shit. And yeah. the reason they're full of shit is it takes a not everyone's full of shit. Okay. Mm. Not everyone is. But most of you are. Let's call it spade a spade. It's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> The reason that the growth zone sucks and the reason that it sucks to show up daily for the growth zone is, and I, I think I called you about this one day, is when you're constantly pushing yourself, you will never leave the growth zone. And the growth zone is, there can be good days of growth and there can be bad days of growth, but change regardless sucks. And mm -hmm. if you are striving for constant improvement, what am I going to use here? Let's use a football analogy. Okay. <laughs> Let's say you're a little kid and you want to be a kicker. Well, just even kicking the ball straight was once a daunting task. And then one day, maybe from within the end zone, you finally kick it and it goes through the uprights. Then from there, you're with your coach or your dad or whoever's taking you out and helping you with this. Whoever you should be so grateful to that is investing their time into your skills and growth. But then you're at the five yard line, then you're at the 10 yard line, then you're at the 15. Each time that you strive to stretch and develop now that easy kick through the field goal posts is now more difficult. And then if you keep grinding and you keep doing it and 
you should only be so lucky to find yourself at the Super Bowl with the game-winning kick, and you're kicking it from the 50-yard line or the 45-yard line, whatever it is, and it's the furthest kick you've ever gone for, and you're stressed out because you've never had so many people watching you. You've never had a game with so much on the line. That is how it, whether it's business, whether it's family, whatever you're striving for, it's always going to be uncomfortable because once you get good at one thing, let's use karate, white belt. Mm -hmm. Everyone gets a trophy in karate when you get the white belt. How many people make it to yellow, blue, brown, purple, and how many people get the black? Each test is going to be harder. Each person that you compete against is going to be harder and probably kick your fucking ass. And then you beat them. And then you look back and you're like, wow, that white belt stuff that I was sweating about a few years ago, I was tripping. That was nothing. Man, I can't believe I was so excited that one day that I kicked a field goal from five yards away. And now I'm here at the Super Bowl and the game's coming down to me. And I'm back kicking a record-breaking field goal and I did it. Wow, what's next? So once again, I take off on these things. But that's just an example of if you strive for greatness and you really are committed to developing your skills and challenging yourself, most importantly, challenging yourself, Development of skills is great, but if you're the best at anything and you don't put yourself on a live stage, then you don't feel the challenge. So if you're developing your skills and presenting yourself with the challenge to use them, you're always going to be uncomfortable. And when you get comfortable being uncomfortable... And not even comfortable. When you get used to being uncomfortable, all of a sudden, whether it's whether it's uh, ice baths, my, my sister, Jordan's been doing ice baths, and for whatever reason, she's down in her leg. For whatever reason, she's doing it like three times longer than these Russian dudes. She's telling me these stories. She's like, I was in there for three minutes, and all these guys are asking me how I'm staying in there. It probably doesn't feel good for her to be in there. She's just gotten used to it. So right. anything we do, you just got to... I'm pretty fucking used to it raining in Seattle doesn't ruin my day anymore. I actually look forward to it now. But had I been somewhere else, it would have a different effect on me. And just just grabbing the bull by the horns, knowing it's not going to go well at all times, but being willing to squeeze and hold as tight as you can for as long as you can, that's a win in my book. And if you get back on after you get tossed, that's an even bigger win. Um, Well, it also also speaks to, like, what what is it that you're prioritizing? Are you, are you prioritizing the outcome or are you prioritizing the process? Because if you're prioritizing the outcome, then yeah, you may just be looking for how do I get the win? You know, and even if I, even if I've got to play at a lower skill level, just so I kind of get the win or are you prioritizing the process that's going to keep elevating you? to tapping into and finding the next best version of yourself. And uh, we were talking the other day and just all these participation trophies. And I feel like every time I get on Instagram, there's a, a kid with the, the, the mock world series ring. And it's just like, yeah, 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 so much, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so much prioritizing the wins. And it's just like, yeah, but did you get better? It's like, you can win sometimes and get lucky. You can not prepare. You can give shitty effort and a couple of things may have just bounced your way and you ended up with the win. How do you feel after that? Do you feel validated? 
Or are you treating it just the same as if you would have lost? Are you going back to the drawing board? Are you finding the weaknesses in your approach? Are you finding, um, you know, the development areas? And uh, I know we probably need to move on, but I do think it's worth sharing the story of, uh, of Mia Hamm. I love sharing this, especially in sports is, you know, don't show me someone that has a room full of trophies and ribbons and rings and shit like that. That doesn't tell me anything. Mia Hamm, you know, she was in the 90s, the first kind of global female soccer superstar. She was on Gatorade bottles. She was, a, um, you know, known worldwide. And I heard this story about her and she was asked, how'd you, how'd you get to this level? How'd you break through so many barriers for women and, and sports and, um, just to reach so many, so many new levels. And her response was brilliant. She says, I lost my entire life. And the person asking the question was like, well, you lost, like, what, what do you mean? You're one of the greatest female athletes of all time. She's like, yeah, but I constantly played above my skill set. I would play in girls' leagues four or five years older than me. I would play in boys' leagues. I, I would always seek out the best competition that I possibly could and insert myself there. Not to get a trophy, not to get a ribbon, not to get a win and, and take a team picture with a, you know, with a plaque at the very end of the game. I wanted to be better when the game ended from when the game started. If that resulted in a loss, I could live with that because it was about the process, not the outcome. And that that just always hit home with me of just like, that's exactly what it's about. And she was one of the greatest female athletes of all time and was probably uncomfortable throughout her entire childhood, kind of growing up because she was constantly losing, constantly going up against better competition for the sake of getting better, learning the lessons, going back to the drawing board. Um, and I think that's that's such a valuable learning lesson around all things, you know, personal development, leadership, whatever it is, is don't prioritize the outcome because sometimes you get the outcome even when you don't deserve it. Prioritize the process. Um, and that's more than anything else, a way to solidify continuing to show up with a focus on continuous improvement and getting better. Um, and if you can't do that, all of a sudden, don't be surprised over the long term if the outcomes stop going your way. Right, right. So with, with Mia Hamm, <clears throat> I actually didn't know that that was her background or that that's what she was exposing herself to. It makes perfect sense. And what she signed up for, which is not what most little kids or teenagers want, but she could have been exposed to the constant wins or the easy wins where she got to flex her strengths. But she signed up to be constantly exposed to her weaknesses. Right. And if she's four or five years younger or three to four years, however much, than the competition, maybe her weakness was size or speed. Maybe that was it. Or maybe it was her strength to kick. And now she's working... All, like, She's working on all of those things. Then you start to get into high school and you're, I don't know what she was doing outside of high school, but when she's a senior in high school, I feel pretty damn safe saying there was no one that could outperform her probably in the country. I feel safe saying that. So now after getting her ass kicked for however long, and then she goes into college, getting her ass kicked for however long. And maybe, maybe there was that jump of growth 
mm-hmm. to college. And she probably had her eyes or her, her mindset focused on that. But at least in, in high school, she got to that area where, man, now I'm starting to feel pretty good. I'm seeing all this hard work come. And who knows, maybe she kicked ass in college when she was a freshman. I don't know the background story, but that was that was the next level of exposure to something that could make her feel uncomfortable. And this is where the challenge gets even more difficult. But she went on, she was on the Olympic team, right? That was her big... Mm-hmm. Was it the first women's team to ever win? Was that what it was? I, I don't. I know exactly who Mia Hamm is. I yeah, I don't yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't know the details, but yeah, I think she was she was instrumental in really putting like a women's team sport from the U.S. on on a global stage and mm-hmm. competing at an entirely entirely new level. Um, I wish I had someone to look this up for me so I could tell you all the details. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, you need a, you need a research analyst. I do. Just I know. Eating I, you, uh, that's, eating that's, that's soon to come. Um, I can confidently tell you she is 51 years old as of today, but anyway, we'll, we'll <laughs> jump back. I'll follow up with this in the show notes. Um, so, so moving from the growth zone, um, uh, oh, fuck man, I always go on these tangents. So falling in love with the process, I'll go quickly on this. I don't like running. You and I talked about this. I ran a marathon and I I really don't like running. Sprinting's great, whatever, but long distance like that, especially 26.2 miles, that's just crazy. When I was running the marathon, I think it was around mile 18, I started to get, it it might've happened before there, this, but I started to get a, a bit emotional because the process was coming to an end. Because mm-hmm. once that race was done, I no longer had the X amount of hours per week, the X amount of days per week where I was alone, whether it was raining or whether it was really hot. I was in other countries. I was traveling. I would always find a way to get that run in. And that mm-hmm. was my time. That was that was my time for me. I worked through a ton of shit, almost like a, I wouldn't say a walking meditation, but I don't jog long distances that fast. So it wasn't that much quicker than a walking meditation, but yeah. I would get in the zone and I would work through so much. And as much as I missed out on time with friends and family or wasn't able to participate in certain things, like going up, going out on a Friday night's impossible when you're running 20 miles on Saturday. And then going out on Saturday night after you've run 20 miles is impossible. And then Sunday, you're fucked. I might get some good food and then I'm back to Monday and I'm running again. So yeah. when that was coming to an end, I, I realized how much I loved the process because it was never about setting a record time. It was about completing it. But yeah. it was about the 12 or 16 weeks that it was leading up to it that I would not give up. Sure, I missed a run here and there. That's going to happen. But that was, that was so important to me to, to appreciate the daily short runs, the midweek middle runs, that there was no glory. There was no one waiting for me at the finish line. There was no yeah. Instagram post after each, each run for me to say, I did it. Um, so yes, the beauty of the process is so, so important. And um, I, I want to transition. We, everything we've talked about is extremely valuable. Um, but I want to get into a little bit more of, of you what makes you tick? What kind of life hacks are you working with? And the first question I jump into, and this could be something that just happened. It could be something that is six months out, two weeks out. Maybe you booked a trip, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. In this moment right now, what are you most excited about? And it could be something small. It could be something stupid. But what, what are you most excited about as of this moment? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'll give you two answers. Um, you know, one on a professional level, you know, I'm, I'm, 
kind of going back to, you know, taking some of my own advice that I gave a little bit earlier is like, once you know your why behind doing what you're doing and you're a committed student to it, I mean, I'm genuinely excited almost every single new week um, to put new things into practice. And the way that I do that is as soon as we get off this call, I've got a standing appointment with myself every Friday afternoon at 3.30 where I go through this reflection exercise, the same exercise that I give to my clients. And it's really looking at my metrics and understanding what did I do well? What, what made that go well? What, what didn't work as planned? Was my conversion rates off or whatever it was? And I'm genuinely excited in the short term to end Friday and just gunning to be able to put some of these things into play that I've reflected on the very next week. So that's kind of a standing thing that because we're we're speaking here on a on a Friday, like that's I'm, I'm genuinely jacked up about that of just going through dissecting my week um, and being a fucking student around what do I what can I 2x? What do I need to, to change? Um, so that's one thing, but also two um, more personal and, and mindset driven. It's like we've got a one year old, a three year old. So big trips have not been a reality for us. Uh, you know, my wife and I over the past uh, the past couple years, um, we're finally since we've had kids taking our first trip back to Europe um, here in about a month or so. And so I'm I'm genuinely excited to kind of get back out there. And for me, it's it's such a mental recharge kind of being in a different country, in a different culture. I, I love the, the refreshing element that comes with it where you kind of sit back and, and realize how many things you do on a day in, day out basis are kind of going through the motions. When you're speaking a different language and you're in a different country, even, you know, I'm, I'm yeah, just excited to kind of immerse myself and look back and reflect and you know, it, it, for me, it's just a massive creativity boost. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that trip. What, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what, what countries are you going to be making your stops into? Yeah, so we're going to do uh, France, and I've, I've never been to Paris, so we're going to spend some time, a couple of days in Paris, and then we're actually going to be there for a friend's wedding in Portugal. So we'll then be uh, heading over and spending about a week in a couple of places in Portugal. Nice. Well, enjoy. Um, yes. I'm sure you'll have amazing luck out there. Be a little bit, uh, I say this to everybody in certain areas, but watch out for pickpockets. You know, yeah. I seem to find them a lot. <laughs> um, I think I find them because my record's pretty good as of now. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep a little note on me. Like every every corner I turn, it's like, yeah. would Derek go down here or would Derek not go down here? I would. Just know that yeah. I would. Yeah. I, so no matter what the no matter what the corner looks like, no matter how dark the tunnel is, yeah, I would. So think about it maybe as just what what should you not do, or, yeah, or exactly. what should Derek not have gone down? Right, um, right. Well, cool. Okay, so you've got that trip coming up. Um, what is what is something that you have changed your mind about? Ooh, yeah. This is this is a good one. Um, you know, I'll say this, I, I think from a concept standpoint, I like the concept of always being in a position and being okay with changing my mind. Um, I, I used to come from a place of 
because my experience, my success, I had strong opinions that I would hold very tightly. Um, but over time, I've start to, started to realize it's like have thoughtful opinions that are loosely held. And if you're presented with better information, better facts, uh, different perspective or an alternative way to think about it, be really fucking fast to change your mind. Um, so that's one thing. But how it relates to something more specifically is I've... It kind of goes along the theme that we've been talking about is I've really taken a different approach and changed my mind around competition. Um, I'm a competitive person. I come from a corporate background where it's just you're, you're, you're figuring out ways to win and beat the competition every single day. But in this new kind of season of life and this new stage that I'm in, so much of what we talked about is... I've changed my thought process and mentality around external competition as being secondary and prioritizing beating my prior version of myself. So today I'm competing against me from yesterday. Um, And so I've really kind of flipped that script for myself and I rethink and have rethought about how I'm defining competition completely differently. And it's on this path of continuous improvement. Am I showing up every single day a better master of my craft professionally? Am I a better husband to my wife today than I was yesterday? Am I going to be a better father to my kids today than I was yesterday? Um, And so I've really changed how I thought about these external comparisons and really focused on my internal kind of benchmark. And am I increasing that on a consistent basis? So that's something that's been a a big change for me recently. Well, thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> and this is, I mean, this is like the, the, the fun or easier question. And I, I always love everyone's different answers, but what is, uh, what is something quirky, uh, maybe a guilty pleasure, something embarrassing? What's something that you do that you're not ashamed of, but you're more like, wow, I can't believe I do that. And I wonder what people would think if I do <laughs> or something goofy where you're like, what, why do I, why am I doing this? Now that I'm asking you to put a uh, magnifying glass on yourself. Yeah, I think uh, that the thing that kind of comes to mind is I I started realizing about a year, year and a half ago that I do my best thinking in motion. Um, So if you lived in my neighborhood, it's very common for me to just be walking around random parts of the neighborhood and sidewalks through sidewalks, nature trails. And so... I know for a fact 30% of my neighborhood views me as kind of like, he's a strange bald guy that's always just walking around by himself, right? And so I, I think it's kind of a guilty pleasure, but also kind of a mindset hack at the same thing is you can look at my calendar and see uh, thinking walks kind of built into my calendar. And it's just like, if I've got a break, you know, here and there, it's like, I am so quick to just drop everything, go out, walk a mile. Um, no matter what the weather's doing, like you said, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's my little guilty pleasure slash hack. And it's just something that I kind of just keep coming back to. And a lot of people just aren't real big on just like, I'm going to just go take a solo walk by myself in my own neighborhood. Uh, but I, I just love to do it. So that, so it's, it's interesting that you say that, um, the thinking walk. So mm-hmm. I, I walk a lot and mm. I think a lot when I'm walking 
And it may be because I'm typically listening to a podcast or some sort of educational piece of audio when I'm walking. Mm-hmm. Um, I do walk in silence as well, and, and I, I can't put my finger on it right now. I think I do my, I know I do my best thinking, not to say that I don't think on these walks, I do my best thinking in the shower. Yeah. It's crazy. And maybe it's because I'm like completely, maybe if I went for a walk with no phone and yeah, it's got to be the shower because there's nothing visual for me to be distracted by. But I've had to catch myself saying to someone, like it could be a colleague, it could be a prospect, it could be anything. And I have to catch myself before saying, so I was thinking about you in the shower because I'm working through whatever it was and I'm in deep thought. But, But yeah, that my moments of... I wouldn't say genius, but my highlighted thought moments always come in the shower. So walking, walking would be distraction free, but yeah, maybe I'll give you a, uh, I'll give you feedback when I go for a walk with no devices and yeah, maybe I, not I, downtown I, Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. I think as, as much as you can kind of get away from the, the noise and, and have a more kind of serene environment, I think is helpful, but what I always come back to is like, even whether I'm listening to a podcast or it's a silent walk, it's such a great recalibration mechanism. So if I, if I've got a thought that's sitting too heavy with me or the week went to shit and I didn't perform up to my expectations, um, those things can stick with you. Right. And it's just like completely change your outlook. And all of a sudden all your thoughts are coming from a place of negativity versus positivity. When I take that walk, it just, it allows me to almost zoom out and develop better awareness, perspective, and clarity to connect a few dots. And when I come back, whether it's 30 minutes or 45 minutes later, it's just like there, there's been a recalibration. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I highly recommend it. It's uh, I call them my solo thinking walks and uh, kind of suck sometimes when your three-year-old wants to join you and is like, <laughs> Sorry, we'll go for a walk later. This is for me right now. This is for me. Uh, yeah. yeah. And you don't understand this, but I have to prioritize <laughs> myself over you for the next 30 minutes. That's right. That's right. But uh, so, yeah, that's my that's my quirk. You know, I, I don't know if we have talked about this in the past. Maybe you already know this, but um, there is there was a study done and it has to do with um, with your eyes and the way that they process what they're seeing. And so. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at your phone or you're looking at a screen and you're hyper-focused, just like like right now, I'm looking at a little dot in the center of my camera, so I'm looking into, or the center of my screen, so I'm looking into the camera. When you're in this, so our, our bodies can influence the thoughts in the mind because we're physiologically reacting to something. Yeah. And similar to when someone gets in a car accident and they say like, it was crazy, it was like slow motion. You know, you're hyper-focused. Our brains are so powerful based off what our body's telling them to respond to. But when we are in this office setting or computer setting or phone setting and your eyes are so focused like that, you're in almost a fight or flight mode all the time. And when you get outside, I noticed this, the best example I can give of this for me, and it doesn't have to go that far. I mean, I could, I could just get away and get to a park, but living in Seattle, I used to fly into Spokane and then go into North Idaho to work with customers. Now, this is mm-hmm. years ago. But when I would fly into Spokane and take off east on I-90 East, getting out towards Idaho, and everything just spread out. 
and I could have a panoramic view, your eyes relax. And when you relax in that way, your body, everything else just chills out of it. So when you're doing your thinking walks, that's got to be a huge part of it. The reason I'm saying get out of downtown Seattle is... I mean, you could look it up online. It's not always the best place to walk, and it's not always the best scenery um, with the friendly neighborhood. Um, I'll just say my street neighbors. But yeah, uh, yeah when you when you get outside um, outside of the skyscrapers, and you can get to where you can see like ocean, or even like a forest, just because it's different. You're you you'll physio you will physiologically change your mindset, but just yeah. by having that reaction. Um, so cool. So thank you for sharing those with me. I'm going to do my three real quick. Cause one of yeah. them is, one of them is important and this goes back to sales, but, um, one thing that I'm excited about right now, and this just happened to be, it came together this morning was I, I opened my email up and I had a previous client that I've worked with before that I put a scope of work together for five months ago. And I don't put together scopes of work if it's not, if it doesn't make sense and if it's not agreed mm -hmm. upon. It was the weirdest thing. I put it together and then just radio silence. And I'm not going to waste a ton of time with someone who's not responding to me. Like, whatever, something changed. Maybe they figured out another solution. That's awesome. But the reason that I'm excited about this coming together this morning is I was working with a client or you could say a student of mine yesterday. And her name is, I'll leave it unnamed, but she asked me at the end of the call, she hung out, maybe this was two days ago. Yeah, it was two days ago. She asked me, she said, hey, so how do you, and, it, and it's funny because this is, it, it's just funny the questions you get when you, when you advance in your career and like when giving mm -hmm. the field goal example, this is something that I was freaking out about, you know, maybe five years ago and just seeing someone else have the same questions, but she said, I've got a huge deal out right now and I've sent out the, um, the proposal and I'm just waiting and I'm freaking out. Like, I don't want to bug them. I'm nervous. I'm checking my email all the time. Like, what do I do? How do I overcome this? And what my advice to her was, was my advice was we, we always want to have almost like we're like, we're dancing with someone. And if I'm going to dance, if I'm going to take a step this way, you're going to take a step with me. Like, I'm not going to do anything unless I know you're going with me was just setting the next step. So like mm -hmm. when you have the conversation and before you send it out, just understanding the timeline. So I get you this proposal. What is your decision-making process look like? I don't want to, I don't want to send you three texts over the next week. If you're telling me that your decision-making process takes two weeks and it's got to go to the board, I'll follow up with you in, why don't we just say 17 days? So you, there's a little buffer. Yeah. But, so what I told her is I said uh, that, you know, have, have the next steps set prior. So you're not waiting around and like checking for that, like DM to come in. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, get back to work on developing your pipeline. Just go out and try to find more, um, more clients that you can have good conversations with and potentially uncover a reason to do business together. And if that reason's there, then you can send out more proposals. And when you've got 10 proposals out there, the one isn't going to seem like that big of a deal. And you could say this for dating as well. If you're out and you're meeting people, you're not going to be as disappointed if one person doesn't call you back or says, I don't feel that spark. So when I gave her these, these directions, the reason I'm excited, it's great that, that sales come in. Sales come and sales go, but yeah, yeah. detach from the outcome. It's great because I cannot wait. And I missed a call from her while we're on, well, we've been on this and I have a voicemail from her. 
I cannot wait to tell her the story about how someone went radio silent for five months and then just hit me with, but we're ready to get started. Like mm -hmm. you cannot, we can't control timelines. We could do everything in our power to set the stage, but when someone's ready to get going, I'll give, this is my tangent. I'm gonna give you another really good example of yeah. just, it's gotta be your time. My dishwasher, something broke with it, maybe, fuck dude, it could be a year and a half ago. And to fix it was more expensive than getting a new one. Okay, whatever, that's fine. I haven't gotten a dishwasher for a year and a half. Do I need one? Yeah. If we were to walk through a discovery call and we were to build out the ROI of me paying for a dishwasher versus washing everything by hand and drying everything, the, I mean, this would be a, this could be a 50x ROI for yeah. what I could be doing with my time. I just don't really mind washing dishes with my hands. Like, mm. it's just not that big of a deal to me. I would rather, and I'm not here that much. I'd rather go on a trip. I'd rather go to a good dinner, whatever it is. And that discovery call or whoever was selling it to me could just be hammering with me with all the reasons that it makes sense to just make a jump now. But I'll get it done when I get it done. It's, it's just, it's when I deem the time is right, that's when it's going to be, no matter how good the case is. So there's a tangent on that. Um, what is something, what is a guilty pleasure of mine? I've got yeah. a great, great guilty pleasure. This, and this just came up. Um, and this is also something I'm kind of excited about as well. So Saturdays, Saturdays are my cheat day. I will eat like, I will... I will eat a poisonous amount of toxic food on Saturday. And it sets the stage for the next week because I don't really feel yeah. like it. So I'm excited to tell you this because I didn't know. When you do Uber Eats or DoorDash, they're charging a premium on even like fast food plus oh, a yeah. delivery service. Taco Bell, which is my guilty pleasure, Taco Bell delivers. Do you know that? Oh, no, I did not know that. Taco, Taco Bell delivers. I spent... Um, Mm, this last weekend, we'll say I went off for two days. I spent $110 in delivery at Taco Bell. You know how I eat. You know how I eat. That was gone in like a matter of seconds. But yeah, anyway, that's, uh... yeah. that, that's my excitement and guilty pleasure. Um, and then just uh, something I changed my mind about. I've had, I've had a few political changes. Which I'm not mm -hmm. going to get into that. Um, but I, I have been argumentative in the past about supporting um, a plant-based lifestyle, being vegan, mm -hmm. doing those things. Um, I wasn't wrong. I knew everything. There was no way I was wrong. And um, I'm not saying that plant-based isn't the way, and I'm not saying that I didn't feel great doing it, but I've just changed my mind a bit about healthy, sustainably sourced animal protein. Um, and if I were to meet my 25-year-old self now, <laughs> I would have a good discussion, and that person would be very argumentative and hard to talk to and yeah. know they were right. So that that's something that I really changed my mind on, and then just being open to the fact that you just never know what's going to switch our standpoints. There was a time where doctors were prescribing Marlboro is the best cigarette out there, and I've heard that the cholesterol in egg yolks is cancerous and toxic years ago. And now whole eggs are the best thing. It's like the best thing you could have. So yeah. just always keeping my mind open and trying not to dig my heels in too deep because I'm probably going to eat my words on something eventually. Um, no, so it's a good, it's a good 
point. I, I think too, we, we, we get so caught up in whether it's politics, whether it's something else that it's like, we have to live and die by the either or it's this or it's that. Um, and yeah, it's like, as I get a little older and wiser, I'm kind of finding it's like, really, really the magic tends to be in the end being open-minded, understanding why a position is someone else's position, whether it's aligned or not aligned with mine. Um, but just because it's not on my side doesn't mean it's all bad. What, what do I align with on that position? What do I agree with? And what does the combination of the two look like? What's the best of the best of this side and the best of this side? And what does that third and solution look like? And so, yeah, it's a good, uh, good mental reminder that your story just provided me of like, find the and, stay away from the either wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from a, from a performance aspect, from a, well, from, from an anything aspect, mm-hmm. how do you, for the majority, maybe you take Sunday off, maybe you take Saturday off, whatever. How do you schedule your day? What does that look like from wake up to go to bed and what events take place in between? Yeah. So I think this is, this is what I found to be most enjoyable about the entrepreneurial venture. It's because you really get to create, um, for the most part, the, the, what makes you the most optimized. Um, and so for me, you know, one of my non-negotiables is my morning routine. Um, this is one of the things that I, no matter what happens, I'm, I'm going to show up here. There's nothing that can knock me off course, whether it's a late night out or being sick, whatever it is. Um, there's a 99.9% chance that I'm going to, I'm going to show up for my morning routine. I do wake up early. So I'm kind of a 4:30, 4:45 wake up. Um, and I'm just, I've been a big believer and it's been a life changer for me that the first hour and hour and a half of my day, I, I call it the oxygen mask concept. Um, for me to do all the things that I want to do to meet the expectations I have for myself for the rest of the day, I've got to prioritize myself first. I've got to do the things first thing in the morning that is going to optimize me to be the best version of me uh, to achieve those results. And so it's really a program that I got from a mentor, uh, Robin Sharma, um, that he refers to as the 20-20-20 formula. I don't do it exactly like this, but making sure that there's, you get an intense workout. You know, for me, it's a, it's cardio. I love, I love cardio. There's something mental plus physical there, but whatever you do, like break a good sweat. Um, from there, I, I do some type of, uh, meditation and then learning as kind of the third part. So what my morning routine looks like is typically 30 to 45 minutes of, a pretty strenuous cardio exercise. I then go into my meditation routine and then finish with some type of either reading or um, online courses. I'm a big fan of, uh, I'm, I'm really into masterclass right now. I'm not sure if you've heard of that that product, but uh, yeah, just knocking back a couple of uh, modules of the masterclass or 
redoing Alex Harmozy's, um, you know, how to craft a great offer class or just reading a good book. And so that's my oxygen mask. That's the putting on my mask first before I can be, you know, helpful to others. And then for me, I like to stack my day early with meetings. And so as much as I can, um, I like to be, you know, just like with our energy and our attention, we're kind of like our battery, our, our bodies are no different, almost like a cell phone battery, except we can't recharge ourselves as, as effectively as we can our phones in the middle of the day. And so I know that after my morning routine, after I shower, get ready, I'm going to be the most prime from a mental cognitive standpoint, really from that 8 a.m. to 1, 2 p.m. So that for me is prime time for me to do my best work, make the biggest impact that I can have on clients, do, do, do uh, the needle moving stuff. And so typically you'll see my calendar all consolidated early uh, in the day meetings. And so from 2, 2.30 on is where I benefit from flexibility from the first half of the day structure. So then it, it could be, if I want to, go play with my kids or take my kids on a walk or catch up on more administrative stuff. I leave that more towards the back end, back end of the day and do at my leisure and at my own flow. So that's, that's the general kind of rule of thumb that I kind of run my days through. What's your, uh, what's your bedtime routine? Oh yeah. So it's, um, if there is one. Yeah, no, I think the, the, I found this out the hard way years ago that to have a very solid morning routine, that's really the output. You got to have a very solid PM routine to put yourself in position um, to have a, a solid morning routine. And so for me, it's, you know, getting, we kind of divide and conquer. So I've, I'm, uh, I handle the three-year-old kind of bedtime. So we normally get that done by 830. And then from there, 8.30 to 9.30 is really my wind down process. It's either watch, you know, watch something with my wife, read, um, just really get myself in, in position that way by 9.30, I've kind of optimized my environment to be able to get to sleep between 9.30 and 10. Um, so it's a bit earlier than most, but it's kind of the, the sacrifice that I kind of have to make for my morning routine and the rest of my day to be highly productive and quite frankly, rarely make it to 9.30 or 10. It's not uncommon for me to be asleep closer to nine than, than, than 10. Mm -hmm. And you, so you said something that, that's important and I wanna highlight that is the wake up alarm pales in comparison to the importance of the bedtime alarm. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter when you wanna wake up, if you don't go to bed on time, even if you get up at that time, you're gonna feel like shit. And yeah, it's good to get up, but I prioritize sleep. Sleep is so important. My day is fucked if I'm not rested well. Um, quick side example, I didn't do anything for 4th of July. Like I wanted to stay in and Lake Union's got a great 4th uh, of July show and it was almost mm -hmm. like, it was almost like I was a kid on Christmas just waiting for them to go off to hear the explosions and there was so much shit going on and the sound reverberates off the buildings. I probably didn't get to sleep just like, cause I was on edge till 3 a.m. And mm. then that 5 a.m. wake up, I could tell immediately, I could tell, I could feel it. You can just feel when you're off. 
I knew today, I was just to myself, today's gonna be a banger. Like I just can tell banger in a bad way. Like yeah. I'm gonna fight through it, but I'm gonna have to practice patience. I'm gonna have to really slow down my response time because I'm I'm on edge and I don't I just don't feel great. If you don't feel great, you're not gonna perform well. So um, Yeah, no, and it's like I I cringe anytime I hear someone say, especially from a hustle culture concept, yeah. like, oh I'll sleep when I die. Yeah. I'm like, no. Yeah, that's, no, that's ridiculous. That's, you, I mean, to be as productive and high performance as you possibly can be, rest is not an afterthought. It's a critical component. Um, and so if you can't dial in your evenings, there is no way that you can have sustainably ultra productive mornings. They go, they go hand in hand. And if you deprioritize sleep, you're only shortening the runway to where some external event is going to then force you to prioritize rest. Um, so yeah, never, never say I'll sleep when I die. Type of no, thing. no, no. And, and sleep when you die. Okay. Well, that's great. And you will sleep when you die significantly earlier and when your brain is not functioning at optimal performance and after weeks and months and years of not functioning in that way, you've got some sort of I, I don't even want to put this out there, but some sort of health issue based on you living a stressed out life. And also when you don't sleep, you're not going to be as good. So you may not even, great, you didn't rest. That's awesome. But you probably didn't make it as high as you could have and you really shortened your life. So right. that, uh, yeah, I, I hate that statement. And, and I also, and I'm using hate as a strong word, and I'm going to speak for myself personally here, but I'll see on... You know, whether it's anything online, when people are making their rants about like things you've been told that aren't true. And one of them is, is you don't have to get up at 5 a.m. to be successful. And, you know, I can agree with that with a major caveat. Mm -hmm. You don't have to get up at 5 a.m. to be successful. If maybe you have the utmost willpower, let's say you get up at 9, you leave your phone in a, in a box and you don't check your email and you don't respond to anything. And even at that, if you go out to get your coffee, if you go to the gym, if you go for a walk, you are encountering the rest of the world. And when I get up at 5, I know no one's blowing my shit up. My phone's not going to go off. There's nothing on social media to check. The gym's going to be empty. There's not going to be any traffic on the road. None of life's responsibilities affect me at that time because shame on you if you think that I was supposed to deal with that at 5 or even 6. And that will allow me to even get to push to that I typically am back on by 8 a.m., but if I wanted to go to 9 a.m., that's four hours dedicated to me before I've started the day. So sure, do you need to get up at five to do that? No, but it's a hell of a lot harder and you have a shitload more distractions unless you don't know anybody and have zero responsibility to anybody out there. And if that case, I don't even know why you're trying to do anything, but that, that's just my take. The, well, yeah, it's so, so important. I, I tend to agree with you and, and look, time, no matter your background, no matter your wealth, no matter any other variable you can name, time is something that is a completely level playing field for all of us. It's finite. We all only have 24 hours in a day. We all only have seven days in a week. The one thing that I've consistently seen over and over and over again that separates the good from the great is how the greats are able to take advantage of the finite amount of time that they have. And so 
sure, I agree. Um, you don't have to get up at five, but each passing hour of your day, if your goal is to be great, if your goal is to find out what you're truly capable of, sleep till nine, hell, sleep till 10, just know you don't have the flexibility to be great that the same person has who wakes up at five. Because guess what? I would say, yeah, sleep till nine for everybody would be a great thing if you if if the hours in a day were flexible and was a, was a variable, but we only have 24 of them. Um, and so if you're not maximizing what you're able to do, what you're able to achieve, what you're able to accomplish, you can't expect to compete very well against someone who is maximizing, especially those prime hours, um, you just, you give up a lot of advantages. You give up a lot of flexibility because you don't, you can't manufacture more time. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. In um, other than, well, this might, I don't want to answer for you. So you've got your morning routine and then you've got your day scheduled out and you've got your evening scheduled out. What represents a win for the day? Every day is different, but assuming that you didn't have, well, I don't want to assume anything. What mm -hmm. represents a win for the day? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it comes back down to that, that focus on continuous improvement. Did I get better? And the way that I think about that to make sure I'm not so one dimensional is my life is made up of three major roles, the leader of my business and kind of the, you know, in my professional capacity to my clients, the father to my kids and the husband to my wife. Those are, those are my three main roles in life. And when I'm talking about getting better and continuous improvement, I'm not talking about just one of those three. So those are the elements of my focus on continuous improvement of me competing against me is am I or did I make progress on all three of those fronts today? That's what I hold myself accountable to at the end of the day. And that's how I determine in a somewhat subjective way, did I win today? And if I didn't win, did I get some key learnings? Did, did I fall short? Did I have a short fuse? Did I, was I a little bit too quick tempered? Was I, you know, yeah, probably wasn't the, the, the dad that I wanted to be today for X, Y, and Z. That's going to happen. What learnings can I extract to get a win tomorrow? And so for me, it's, that's, that's my, that's my infinite game. That's the, that's the, the North star that I'm chasing that there is no finish line to. It's just that continuous improvement kind of uh, treadmill that I'm on to just keep getting better in those three main roles that are very, very important to me in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, so I, I love that and I love that you've got the, the breakdown to the three key factors and then even if maybe you weren't your best in one of the roles, what were the takeaways or why wasn't I the best that day for that reason and how can mm -hmm. I avoid that moving forward? Um, and, and this perfectly segues into my next question, but you're a, you're a dad to two little ones. What does it mean? What have your, what has your experience been as being a dad? What does this mean? What's changed um, other than the obvious, but there's mm -hmm. some mindset changes. Let's, let's talk about this for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. For me, the biggest change was, and it may sound simple and may sound obvious, but it really doesn't hit home until 
these little humans are kind of running around, you know, but we talked a little bit earlier in the conversation about leading and following um, and people seeing what you do or kind of seeing how you react to certain situations. For me, that took on a whole different level now that my kids are growing up because it is not as much about what I say. And for them, the way that they're starting to mirror things and play back things that we've never spoke about, they've just watched me do, um, is there's a, whole, there's, a, there's a level of gravity to that, that because I'm so focused on leadership and I, I want to be as best of a leader to those little boys that I can possibly be. So the awesome responsibility that comes with the role is knowing that they're always going to be watching what I'm doing, even if I know they're watching me or not, and they are in some way, shape or form going to mirror that. And so am I being the person? Am I being the father? Am I being the leader to my kids that I want to be? Even when I know no one may be looking, uh, is kind of that, that just big change for me that really has hit home when you just see them do something that you know they're, they're just kind of mimicking what you were doing, even though you've told them nothing about it. They're going to want to be like you, so give them a damn good example to kind of live by. Um, and so it just that for me, after having kids, is what hit home the hardest and was just a great, great way for me to kind of just reshape all of my actions of would I be doing this if I knew my kids were watching and I knew my kids would, would mirror this in some way, shape or form. It's just a great guardrail to have in life. Mm -hmm. That, yeah, that's, um, that transitions to all types of leadership, but obviously your little ones are going to be the most important. Mm -hmm. And, um, if, if you've seen this before, this, this is going to backfire on me, but do you want to play a quick little game? It's about what, what you just talked about. Yeah. Are you, can you see me clearly? Like I know yeah. we've got, okay. So you're familiar with Simon Says, correct? Yeah. Okay. So raise your hand to the right. I didn't say Simon Says. You already <laughs> asked. Okay. So, so we're going to start over. We'll, we'll edit that out. No, I, thought, I thought it was part of the rules. No, no. So, so but you, do you know the rules of Simon Says? Yeah, you do. You only do what Simon Says. What Simon Says, yeah. Okay. So Simon says, raise your hand to the right. Okay. Now close your fingers into a circle. Simon says, close your fingers into a circle. Simon says, touch the top of your head. Now Simon says, take the circle and put it on your cheek. Simon says, you got it. There you go. Yeah. You got it. Because it's not about what you say, it's what you do. Mm -hmm. And you're familiar with Grady. Yeah. Okay. When I was, I think Grady was five years old. And I can promise you, his parents didn't instill this. I can promise you they didn't go out and say, this is okay. I'm, he could have been four, but we're just going to say he's five. I remember Grady walking into the house and saying something happened and Grady saying, that's horse shit. And we were like, what? <laughs> but knowing his parents, we were like, and they're great. They, they just, they yeah. just swore a lot. Knowing his parents, 
he knows at school that's not okay. And mm -hmm. I'm sure they never said, Grady, this is okay to say. And if they did say it, I'm positive that they would look at him and say, that's a bad word, don't say it. But you're going to do what you see. And so now that you're in this father role, now that you're a dad, everything that you do, not just what you say, but everything you do is probably immediately to the best of their little abilities being mimicked right oh, away yeah. whether it's the way you respond the way you drink from a cup they're going to be there's a famous scene in jaws i don't know if you remember this but the little boy is sitting with his dad and the dad kind of like leans back and the little boy leans back and the dad takes a sip and goes like ah and the little boy does it so yeah, yeah you are on the stage at all times with two very very formidable and malleable brains that for better or worse are going to copycat you so yeah you do you do have to be careful there um, and then this is, uh, this is more personal related or more personal life, but you've got your own business. We've got early wake up times. We've got early bedtimes. We've got kids that we're juggling. We're, uh, not in grind mode, but we're prioritizing doing the right things. How are you carrying what are you doing to keep the married life fun? What, what are you doing to keep it fresh or make sure that that is, um, if you are, I don't know, but mm -hmm. if you are, a, a focus so that that's not, I mean, we hear all too often, I'm stressed out from work, I've got bills, we got kids, I got this, I got that, and we deprioritize our partner because that's just what happens. Mm -hmm. How do you, I've seen you put out a couple blog posts about, I think, like a Maybe you said like a weekly check-in on how do we do. What are you doing to ensure that um, that you're both having fun and that you're both still a priority in each other's lives? Yeah, yeah. It's got to, you know, I, I think where I've seen couples that have struggled with this is where they're just expecting it to happen. And it's one of those things that, yeah, we got to, we, we just got to do more things together, whatever it is. But, you know, life Life is funny to where if you don't have intentionality behind it, it'll never do it for you. And so we always have to remind ourselves, even when we don't need reminding, reminding that our relationship needs to be a priority. And so, yeah, I think the standard stuff, the, you know, the date nights, the, you know, we got some vacations planned minus kids, which we're both very much forward to. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we both come from a business background. And so we've all heard of kind of the monthly business reviews, right? The MBRs. And, um, I heard, uh, I heard a really novel approach of why not apply that to it's both common language for both of us. Why can't we take that type of focus and intention on our relationship? So this is best paired during a date night or when you're away from the house. This should not be a hallway conversation, but we have kind of what we what we call a monthly marriage review. Um, it's where we have a series of questions that we ask ourselves, and it's, it gives us both a safe space and a forum to be heard where the other person knows coming in your jobs to listen and take this feedback. It's not about whether you agree or not, or whether you think that that's the reality. This is your partner's perception, and you just need to be there to acknowledge and, and take that in. And so we ask things like, what was the highlight from the past month for you and why? What was the low light? Is What's the one thing that you want to see me improve on? What's the one thing that you're most worried about? Just, you, you know, your standard questions that 
are pretty common in a business environment, but we apply that to our our marriage to always make sure that we're shining light on what typically ends up as blind spots. And we've got the feedback loop and the accountability mechanism because we're going to come back the very next month, do the same thing over again and say, look, Aaron, you jackass, I've been bringing the same thing up for two or three months in a row and you're not changing. And so this gives us this, um, this safe space to be able to say what needs to be said, give ourselves as partners the right feedback loops um, to just improve as partners for each other that ultimately kind of brings us together and improves the quality of our marriage. I, I love that. And I'm going to take notes for whenever I find myself in a situation like that, because I, I think it's so important to do reviews and to do check-ins and, you know, all too often through any type of relationship, we can let little things slide here and there. And it's mm -hmm. because we don't want to be annoying or we don't want to disrupt something. And it's like, if, if I can't tell you exactly how I feel, I'm doing you a disservice because you can't read my mind. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to resent you because you're not a mind reader and you're not doing these things. And fast forward six months and I have this snap and I say, and you never do the dishes. Yeah. It's like, shit, I love doing the dishes. Why didn't you tell me six <laughs> months ago? I would have been doing them all the time. You cook. I hate cooking. We, we would have been so much better if we had that conversation. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's, 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 it allows for things to be said where they don't build up into a, a volcanic type of eruption. Yeah. Um, and because because for me, this is one of the main roles in my life that I want to be good at. I want, I genuinely want to be a good husband. And so if I'm fucking up, which I do and I can, and I will in the future, um, this is, this is a good guardrail for me to, to never be more than 30 days away from hearing about it in a constructive environment that allows me to come back, reflect, game plan, and recalibrate on making improvements in that area. And I think if we both stay committed to that to that program and process, then um, we always leave those conversations feeling more aligned and feel feeling like a more cohesive team than when we started. So can't recommend it highly enough. Without without question. And and so I just want to be respectful to your time. I had no doubt this was going to happen. We're at time. <laughs> um, oh, I'm yeah. getting close to wrapping up. Do you have a hard stop? Uh, not a hard one, but I got, I got about 10 more minutes. Yeah. I, I think I can do this in five. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So what are, do you have any life hacks, um, or performance hacks right now that, you know, something that's changed, something has changed the way you're doing business, something that's changed the way you're purchasing something, a supplement and anything that you would recommend for a listener that is a, a game changer for you. It could be something as simple as a. Uh, a new bubble gum. I have no idea, but is there anything out there that that's been working for you? Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I think in terms of a performance hack, you know, for life, you know, something I actually posted about this, uh, you know, this morning, and it's something that is gaining a lot of traction with uh, a couple of the people that I'm kind of implementing this. And it's, it's really around clarity, right? And, it's so easy for us in the hustle and bustle of life to kind of lose clarity on the mission, right? And I'm a firm believer, we, we've spent a good deal of amount of time today talking about prioritize the process. But if we take a step back, it's usually the goal that drives the process. Um, and so if your process is not aligned with the goal, you'll never reach the goal. But there's something to be said of 
how do you ensure you have the right goal? Because one of something that's more painful than not achieving the goal is achieving the wrong goal and only realize you just wasted a shitload of time. And so this clarity tool uh, or life hack that I like to use is really getting introspective around asking myself and you know my clients three important questions. And that's how are you defining success for yourself not based off what you think is going to look good on an Instagram feed or uh, to your social circles, whatever it may be. But how are you truly defining success for yourself? I then compare that to what success looks like for me, or I'm sorry, what happiness looks like for me. I, I want to get some clarity around both of those areas to then be able to ask the third and most important question, are those two things in alignment or do they conflict with each other? And that's just been such a great life hack for me and for a lot of the people that I work with is because it's so easy to get caught up chasing something when we don't realize the cost of that chase and that pursuit, only the emptiness that we feel once we achieve it and realized, shit, this is, this is not what I wanted. I gave up too much of X to get Y. And if I could do it all over again, I would. That's exactly how long-term regret starts to build up. So in terms of a life pack, I think that's just a clarity tool that I come back to over and over again um, that can always make sure that you have alignment and harmony between how you're defining success for yourself and how you are defining happiness for yourself. So when you can create alignment there, a lot more good things can come away from that than bad things. That's, uh, that's awesome. And <clears throat> I'll have some personal takeaways from that. So thank you for sharing. Um, books, podcasts, anything like that that's come up recently, a book that you would absolutely recommend that uh, the, the first on your list to give as a recommendation. I would say the most gifted book for me would be Atomic Habits by James Clear. I think That's if, a good one. Yeah. if, and I kind of think about that as like as early in life as you can be exposed to that, the better. I, <laughs> I wish like hell that James Clear would have wrote that book, you know, <laughs> yeah. 18 years ago and someone would have forced me into a room and says, as a 20 year old kid, you have to read this. Like, don't make any big decisions until you read this. Um, I, I just think it's such a great, such a great blueprint on how to just get shit done and achieve things in life that you want to achieve. Um, and then, yeah, for a podcast, you know, one of the ones that's kind of my, just kind of my go-to is, uh, is the knowledge project by Shane Parrish. I think for me more than any other podcast content um, and this is if you're looking to find new hacks, find new um, perspectives, it's, it's been such a mind expander for me. And I almost every single day find things that I'm doing in my life that have tied back to something that I've picked up along the way through that podcast. Well, that's okay. So I, that's a new one for me. I, yeah. I will listen to that. I, I've never even heard of that. Um, so we fast forward. It is July seventh, twenty twenty-eight, and I and I actually hate looking five years out. I so this is a shitty question personally, but perfect world. 
imperfect world. Things go well, things don't go so well, but you come out on top. What's changed? Where are you? What's going on five years down the road? Mm. Yeah, I, I, this may be a very boring answer, um, but it's, it's one that's consistent with what we've already talked about is I, I want to be a 10 X version of myself in those three key areas that I, that those three key roles that I'm in. So I want my business to be at a 10 X level from a productivity impact and in financial standpoint. And then when I look back at that five year mark to this conversation today, I want to be able to look myself in the mirror and get the feedback from the stakeholders and the other two roles of my wife saying that I'm a 10 X husband and my kids saying I'm a 10 X dad. So I think it's, it's on, it's on mission with that continuous improvement in how I kind of define the wins for the day. And yeah, I'm always striving for that, for those big kind of, um, you know, the, the, the 1% gains on a daily basis, make those big leaps kind of in the future. And so I want to feel like in those three key areas, I've made those big 10 X leaps, uh, five years from now. I will hold you accountable to that. I think that it's a really great goal. And I think those are great arenas to have that 10 X in. We'll uh, play this podcast back uh, in five years as an anniversary and uh, let, let the, let the, the market be the judge. Yeah. And I was going to say, I'm sure I'll talk to you in between now and five years from then. And I hope that I get to see you again on this podcast between five years from now, but at a very minimum, we'll set the date. If this is still around, I, I only committed to 52 weeks. So if this is still around on July 7th, 2028, we'll run this back. We'll have to run yeah. this the week before and we'll see what's going on. And, and hopefully everyone or everything is 10x. And if not, I'm sure it'll be significantly better than it was. Um, and I just, I want to thank you for taking the time to meet with me today. Um, how can, so for our listeners, if they want to reach out to you for anything or more importantly to hopefully work with you, but if they just wanted to pick your brain on something, would, would that be okay? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. for sure. And the best email is going to be Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at performancemindsetcoaching.co. That's right. Your website is performancemindsetcoaching.co. And then do you, um, Instagram, do you have Instagram? Yeah, got got Instagram, but the the my most active channel is LinkedIn. So LinkedIn. if you're if you're on LinkedIn, I will I'm always active on there, sharing things on a damn near daily basis, and for sure, uh, damn near daily basis. If not, yeah. if you miss so, a day, I'm sure you put out two on another day. That's right. Yeah, and so he doesn't uh, miss. Yeah, so that's that's a quick and easy way to not only engage more about kind of what I'm about, the content. Um, I try to provide value there every single day, not just chirping about God knows what. I want to be able to put something out there that someone can take away and really help them move forward and leave status quo. And so as a result, always available um, you know, on that, on that platform. Awesome. Well, I, I want to exit this. this. It's weird how life comes full circle. I had this queued up prior to you saying that you... Um, one thing that you changed your mind about is competing with others and just really being in it to compete with yourself. But this was my quote to end the episode regardless. I'm, oh, glad, that, yeah. I'm glad that came up. And the quote goes a little something like this. Don't waste your time on jealousy. Sometimes you're ahead. 
sometimes you're behind. The race is long, and in the end, it's only with yourself. And with that, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you for reaching out. You can contact me on LinkedIn. You can contact me um, at info. You know, I actually don't know what I updated the email to. So I'm going to put that in the show notes. And um, if you need anything from Aaron and you're having trouble getting a hold of him, if you want to ask any questions about what you heard today, don't hesitate to reach out. I can't grow without your feedback, right, wrong, and different, positives, negatives, you suck, that was boring, that was horrible, whatever it is. If you think I suck, maybe just don't listen. But I will take that to heart and try to adapt if there's anything that uh, I can improve on as I also strive to be in this uncomfortable, pain-in-the-ass zone called the growth zone. So thank you, Aaron, and uh, until the next time.